Sometimes when you take a look at your life, you wonder if God is in the picture. You wonder if he is with you. Maybe that's one of those times for you. Maybe today, maybe this week, maybe this past month. Maybe it's been one of those years where you wonder and you cry out if God is there. Maybe you wonder if you can press on with what's being pressed against you. I know this with absolute certainty that we can press on when we know that God is with us, when we know his presence resides with us when he is with us. And Some of Jesus' last words to his disciples in Matthew 28, if you go sometime this afternoon, you look at Matthew 28, the last verse that's in Matthew 28, after he had just sent his great commission for us, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them. And it also encourages us, to teach them all things that we have, the things that we know. And then he says this at the end of Matthew 28 in verse 20. He says, and surely I am with you. And surely I am with you. And surely I am with you. Even until the end of the age, even until the end of the very age. One version has in lo, I am with you. It's not ironic that God said those last words when he was meeting with his disciples because he knew there'd be times in our lives when we weren't certain that God was with us, where if we were to rely upon our feelings, that there would be these moments and we would say, God, where are you? And so he's looking at these disciples and he reminded them, I want to let you know that I'll never leave you, I'll never forsake you, and I am with you. When you know God's presence is with you, you can press on when we know he's with us. As a young guy... One of my favorite things to do with my stepfather was to go deer hunting. And, and so I learned at a very early age how to deer hunt, how to pheasant hunt and quail and rabbit. And we spent a lot of time in the woods together. I still enjoy doing that with my boys. I enjoy spending time in the wild myself. But I can remember my first times deer hunting as a 13-year-old boy. It was one of the times when I had my first rifle. I loaded up my 30-30 Marlin Glenfield, and, and my stepfather loaded up his Remington 270 Model 700 BDL rifle. And we were going deer hunting up in the mountains. And in my case, it was about an hour drive to Western Maryland to get to the mountains. And so my stepfather had taught me a lot about hunting. And so one of the things you want to get in the woods about an hour before daybreak so that you're not moving the deer out and so they come by you. And so we left early that morning as we would normally do. It was the first day of deer season in Western Maryland and we're driving in our Ford Country Squire station wagon and it was probably four or five in the morning. I don't know exactly the time because it didn't matter. My stepfather was with me. And so we drove up to the mountains about an hour drive and he was giving me tips and telling me things about hunting, where he would place me and what would happen if a deer came and if I were to shoot, what I should do. And we, we talked these things that father and sons talk with their boys when they're hunting together. And to be quite frank, I didn't know where we were at. And if you would have dropped me off in the road where we were at from point A to destination of hunting, I didn't have a clue, but it didn't matter because my stepfather was with me. And I knew I was in good hands because he would know the way, he would know how to get there, and if anything happened, then I would be okay. Finally, we arrived in the mountains off these logging trails and find ourselves to get out. And then we had about an hour track back through the mountains in the dark with flashlights. And to be quite frank, it didn't matter if my flashlight worked because if my stepfather had a flashlight, he knew where he was going and he was with me and so I was safe. So I felt confident early in the morning before the sun rose and before anyone was out that no matter what would come after me, if it was Black Bear or Sasquatch himself, it didn't matter. My stepfather was with me. He would protect me. He was with me. His presence was with me. And so I was fully confident as a 13-year-old boy walking to my stand, getting on my stand, 
and knowing that my, my stepfather was there. And so as we get to the stand, we work our way back. We had taking layers of clothing off at the beginning of this trail because we didn't want to be sweaty when we got there. One of the tips he taught me. And I began to put my clothes, my coats back on. And he came in alongside of me and he whispered. And he said, Jimmy, it's going to be okay. He said, because I'm going to be on the ridge over and I'll just be over the ridge. You'll be okay. And up to that point, I was fine because I, it didn't matter. I, if we got lost or we got attacked or a bear was ready to attack us, my stepfather would take care of me because he was with me. Something happens, though, when your father leaves and walks the ridge over and you're a 13-year-old boy and you're sitting in the woods and you hear noises that you don't normally hear at 5 a.m. And I remember sitting there trying to put my brave on as a 13-year-old. No, I was fully armed with my Marlin Glenfield lever action 30-30, but I couldn't see through it. I mean, it was dark. It's... And so the, the, the day began to wake up, and it wakes up early if you've never been out early. It does wake up when it's dark. Raccoons run, foxes run, sasquatches run. They run everywhere. And so, and my mind was running with this imaginary animals and whatever's out there. I don't know. And I remember there was this moment as I was seated there, and I was thinking, I came this far. I drove an hour to get here. I walked an hour to get here. Why is it that right now I am fearful? I am afraid. Why? Why? Because I felt like that my stepfather wasn't with me. And if he wasn't with me, then I wasn't safe. But then I remembered something that he said. He said, Jimmy... Just remember, even though I'm not here, I am still with you. I'm just a ridge over and I can see you and I can hear you. And if you need help, you can cry out. And guess what? I'll come help you. Something happens in that moment when you recognize that you're not all alone. That morning, I remember that morning, the truth be known, he did know because a buck came by. It was a four point. It was my first deer. I took a shot. I dropped him and I yelled and 20 mountains away, you could have heard that I killed a deer. And my stepfather came running. But the point is this, even when it's dark, even when it appears and feels like No one is there. Even when you wonder if you can go on, even if you feel like you're walking through the valley of the shadow of death, by the way, it says to walk through it and not to camp in it. Even though you're walking through the valley of shadow of death, we can fear no evil because God is with us. And so no matter what you're facing today, No matter what you're pressed against, no matter what it seems like you have to climb, no matter what is happening and crumbling around you, listen to me, the last chapter of the book has not been written. And when I read the last chapter of the book, it says that we win because God is with us. Today, I'm going to show you a picture of someone who really got that got at a very young age, finished their life, recognizing that God was with him and he never batted an eye. Even though curveball and screwballs and sinkers and sliders were thrown at him, he never batted an eye because he knew beyond a shadow of a doubt the whole way that God was with him. Hopefully today, There might be some of you out here today or setting the link or listening to this by the internet that need to know this today, that no matter what is being thrown at you, you can make it because God is with you. Grab your Bibles and turn to Genesis chapter 37. Genesis chapter 37. If you need a Bible, hold your hand up. First book of the Old Testament. 
I encourage you, husbands, if you're, you're a husband here today, you lead the way, you open up the Bible, you hold it for your wife if she doesn't have one. This is your chance to lead. Genesis chapter 37. Turn to Genesis chapter 37, and we're going to read verses 1 to 4. Genesis 37, verses 1 to 4, and stand with me, and we'll read it together. If you need a Bible, hold your hand up. Genesis 37, verses 1 through 4. Knowing that God is with us allows us to press on when life doesn't seem fair. Genesis 37, let's read verses 1 to 4. Ready, read. Jacob lived in the land where his father had stayed in the land of Canaan. This is the account of Jacob's family line. Joseph, a young man of 17, was tending the flocks with his brothers, the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives. And he brought their father a bad report about them. Now Israel, or Jacob, loved Joseph more than any of the, his other sons because he had been born to him in his old age. And he made an ornate robe for him. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. You may have a seat, but look again at verse 4. Look at the context from which this is coming out of. Look at verse 4. Read this again with me while you're seated. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they what? Hated him and they could not speak what kind of word to him? A kind word to him. So we find this 17-year-old boy, young man, who's living in a family where his siblings all hated him. Not only did his siblings hate him, but they couldn't speak a kind word to him. It seems like he's getting special treatment from his father because he was born to his dad and at his dad in old age. And so it says here in, in the NIV that an ornate robe was given to him. Some versions have a richly ornamented robe and, and some versions take another brand and say that it was a multicolored robe. But in any case, he got the, the Under Armour and his brothers got the Kmart McGregor. That's what puts it in perspective. He, he wore the jacket that the other brothers wish they had worn. And his, his dad somehow spotted him out, gave him something differently than his other brothers got. But it says that they never spoke a kind word to him. But imagine if you're a brother and all your brothers and all your siblings never spoke kindly. And every day of your life, up to the time of your 17 years old, you got up and you sat around the dinner table. You went out with your family in the community. And everywhere you went, you never got a word of encouragement from a brother. Imagine that as a man. Never hearing your older brother saying, boy, good job, I'm proud of you. Never once hearing that from your... In other words, he lived a life where the only report that he got, which was enough, was from his father... But his brothers had written him off. And then it says this in verse 5 of chapter 37. It says this, Joseph had a dream. And when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. As if that wasn't enough, they hated him and didn't speak a word. So he tells a dream and they hated him more. Then it says that he said to them, listen to this dream I had. We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. His brother said to him, do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? And they hated him all the more because of his dream, which he had just had. Verse nine. Then he had another dream and he told it to his brothers as if the first one wasn't bad enough. He said, listen. I had another dream, and this time the sun and the moon and the 11 stars were bowing down to me. 
So picture, if you can, already hating this brother, already like detesting him. And every day when you would see him, there's angst would come up inside of you because of this preferential treatment that he was receiving. Now he's telling you a story in front of you. He tells you one, then he tells you another one. It basically says, hey, the earth, moon, and the stars, they're going to bow down to me. Just want you to know, okay? What would your response be? So you can find this isn't a scenario that you would want to live in regularly. He comes along and he hears from his own siblings something that he doesn't want to hear in a few days that they want to take his life. So how does his father respond to this? Look at verse 10, chapter 37. When he told his father as well as his brothers, his father did what to him? What's the word? Rebuked him. Um, All of us have received rebukes and gentle rebukes from those that care about us and love us. In fact, it's part of sharpening. It's part of spurring one another on. In fact, I believe that isn't one another that's been lost in the Christian circles, spurring one another on. So he, he gently rebukes him and said, what is this dream you had? I believe he said it like this, like, what is this dream you had? You're telling me that not only am I going to bow down to you, but the whole family's going to bow down to you. In other words, Joseph, wait a minute. Then he says this, will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow to the ground before you? Verse 11 then says this, his brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the what in mind. What's it say? Now, it's the first I've really paused and looked at that this week. Just been asking God, has been reading scripture, Lord, help me to see the way you wrote this. Help me to understand. So I paused and I looked at that. It says he rebuked him as a father should. But then he says this, he kept this matter in mind. One translation says he pulled away and he wondered about what his son had said. In other words, he began to process this and say, wow, I need to think about that. If that is true, what does that mean? He didn't dismiss it. He didn't say, don't say it. He says he kept this matter at mind. It means he thought about it that day. He thought about it that night. He thought about it the next day. And he began to process what his son had spoken to him. And he was trying to see what that is. Now, here's where the twist comes. Look what happens next. His father says to him in verse 12, Now his brothers had gone to graze their father's flock near Shechem, and Israel, or Jacob, said to Joseph, As you know, your brothers are grazing the flocks near Shechem. Come, I'm going to send you to them. Very well, he replied. So he said to him, Go and see if all is well with your brothers and with the flocks, and bring word back to me. Then he sent him off to the valley of Hebron. When Joseph arrived at Shechem, a man found him wandering around in the fields and asked him, what are you looking for? Now imagine for a second, you're the brother, there's, and your brother is coming to look for you. So it says this in verse 17. They have moved from here, the man said. I heard them say, let's go to Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them near Dothan. But they saw him in the distance, and before he reached him, they plotted to what? Now, that's the kind of welcome you want, isn't it? Hey, hey, brothers, how you doing? I'm going to kill you. Well, thank you. Like, good, good to see you. Having a good day? It, their anger was building, as it does for us when we don't deal with it properly. 
It built to such a point that this blocked goal in their life, which was their brother, needed to be remedied. And so what they wanted to do, they wanted to kill him. And he's just going to them to give them a report and see how they're doing. Then it says this, look on with me in verse 19. They say, here comes that dreamer. Come now, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns and say that a ferocious animal devoured him and then we'll see what comes of his dreams. So picture if you can, they're ready to kill him. Now, stop and ask yourself a question. Is God with Joseph right now? Like It, it appeared that he was when he wore the Under Armour jacket. It appeared that he was when he was the favorite of his father. It appeared that he was for 17 years. Now, all of a sudden, he's getting this out of nowhere. His brothers want to kill him, throw him into a cistern and take his life. Is God still with him? Little does Joseph know that his blessed life is about to take a turn into rough waters. Here's something this week that occurred to me for the very first time when I've read this account. Very first time. I've never processed this thought, and I know many of you have already, but I haven't. I always wondered why Joseph was able, at 17 years old, to be so mature, to respond in such a way where he didn't bat an eye, where he got sold, and we're going to see it, and where he ends up in prison, we're going to see that, where it doesn't appear like he ever had this moment where he ran away from God or he cursed God and said, you know, curse God and die. Like he never, how could a 17-year-old boy go from where he was at as the fave to have such great faith? And then it, it hit me. I believe that God was already preparing him for that day. Because if you live in a home where every single day of your life, your brothers hate you, your brothers are speaking disparagingly things about you, your, 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 your brothers don't want to sit at the table with you. I believe that God was already preparing him and his faith was growing because the circumstances that he was in weren't the kind of circumstances that siblings should be in. And then I began to ask this question. I have a 16-year-old son and I have a 23-year-old son. I began to ask this question. Am I or are you? Have you prepared your son's to be ready for a day when all of a sudden they're going to be thrown into a cistern, when all of a sudden they're going to be sent to Iraq, when all of a sudden they're going to be all, will they have the kind of faith that Joseph has in this moment? Where does that kind of faith come from? I believe it happened because the parents saw that Joseph was getting ridicule and they allowed his faith to grow in that kind of moment. Little does Joseph know that his blessed life is about to turn into rough waters. Yet, does the blessing of God exclude waiting, wondering, and hardship? Does it mean that God isn't with us when our wife wants to leave us? Does it mean that God isn't with us when we get the report from the doctor? Does it mean that God isn't with us when there's friction in a relationship? Does it mean that God isn't with us when we're surprised by the news that we receive from our employer? Does it mean that God isn't with us when we are trying to accomplish something and right before we're about to accomplish it, we break a leg? Does it mean that God isn't with us or is blessing us when we face adverse situations? Does it mean that God isn't with us when we can't pay our bills? 
Well, it seems that God's with us when we're able to pay our bills. It seems that God's with us when we're on talking terms with our wife or our husband. It appears that God's with us when all our dreams are being answered. But is God with us when everything is crumbling around us? Look what happens next. Look at verse 23 of chapter 37. It says this, so when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the ornate robe he was wearing, and they took him and threw him into the cistern. The cistern was empty. I always find that interesting. They include that. In other words, he heard at the bottom. There wasn't water in the bottom and he didn't drown. In other words, he dropped, he hit the ground hard and it was dry. And then it says this in verse, there was no water in verse 25. As they sat down to eat their meal, I find it very interesting. This is how guys process. They throw their brother into a cistern and someone says, hey, you hungry? Let's eat. Guys can compartmentalize like, we're going to, let's kill my brother, let's kill. Anybody hungry? Verse 25, it says this. It says, they sat down to eat their meal. They looked up and saw a caravan. It wasn't Dodge, by the way, of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead. Their camels were loaded with spices, balm, and myrrh, and they were on their way to take them to Egypt. Then it says this in verse 26. Judah said to his brothers, what will we gain if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? Someone's trying to speak with wisdom. Then he says this in verse 20. Come, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites, not lay our hands on him. After all, he is our what? Brother. Our own what? Flesh and what? Blood. His brothers agreed. So when the Midianite merchants came by, his brothers pulled Joseph out of the cistern. Imagine that for a second. He has no clue what's happening next. He thinks, hey, they, 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 they don't want to kill me. Praise God. And as he's coming out of the cistern, he's like, thank you. And then they sell him. Look at verse 28. It says this. He pulled him up out and they sold him for 20 shekels of silver to the Ishmaelites who took him to Egypt. What does a 17-year-old boy headed to an unknown place with strangers in a foreign country do when this happens? What would you do? He presses on with confidence, even when it doesn't seem fair. Because he knows that God is what? With him. You see, church, let me just, listen This is what we need to hammer down today. God promises to never leave us nor forsake us. And the circumstances that you are facing, no matter how bleak and how difficult, even if it feels like you are 16 feet, 20 feet, 30 feet, 10 feet, 100 feet underground, God is with you. And the chapter of your life, the final chapter hasn't been written yet. So do as Joseph is about to do and hold on. He presses on with confidence when it doesn't seem fair because he knows that God is with him. Have you really thought what it meant to him to have all his brothers disown him? Have you ever thought what it would be like for a 17-year-old junior in high school to be all alone head into a foreign country? Like, how did he become so mature so quickly? Little sidebar here from a parenting perspective. You want to get your kids ready for these kind of encounters? You want to get your kids ready to have the floor drop out on them when they're 17 years old? You want to prepare your children 
not coddle them, not, not be a helicopter parent. You want to have your child be ready when he gets the poor report from a coach, when he gets the poor report from the doctor, you want to get him or her prepared to be ready to know that God is with them and to know that I can press on. Listen to me. You must involve your kids in some risky behavior before they find their own. What do I mean by that? Listen, if you're not already allowing your kids, if you're not walking with your children in risky steps of faith with God, Like if you're not already, if they're not already seeing you take big steps of faith, you aren't preparing them when those steps need to be taken in their own. Ask yourself this question as a father today. What is the most, what's the last risk-filled step that you took following God? What is it? What is the, now ask yourself, what is the last step of faith that you did with your sons or daughters that's preparing them to stand on their own? What is the last step of faith that you did with them, preparing them to stand on their own two feet? I've said this over and over and over again. I firmly believe one of the best ways you need to take your children on a missions trip to the other side of the world. You got to let them see how you depend on God. You must prepare them. They must see you stepping out in faith because when time comes for them, what will they do? They need to see you, mom and dad at home saying, even though it looks like, All hell has hit in our home. We can stand in the ashes of this dust and know that God's got our back because he promises to never leave us nor forsake us. They must see that. Listen, if they're not seeing you take steps of faith, listen to me, it'll be very difficult for them to take steps of faith. Joseph must have seen it in his father. There had to be something. I also believe God was preparing because he lived in a family where no one wanted him except his father. Somehow he believed that God was with him. Picture his first moment in that cistern, then in the caravan, then in this new bed. He could have fallen apart, but he didn't. At some point in the struggles, we must come to this realization that God wants what is best for us more than we want what is best for us. And so listen, hold on. Even though I walk through the valley of shadow death, not camp, not stop, not give up. I walk through it. God will deliver me and I will fear no evil. Knowing that God is with us gives us the desire to make the best of our situation. So maybe you're having a Joseph kind of month. Maybe you're thinking, man, I thought following God meant this. And I thought following God meant that. If God is with me, then... Maybe you don't want a Joseph kind of month. Does it seem like everything's crumbling around you? Have you had days wondering if you could go on? Are you feeling squashed by life? Has Satan hammered you hard this past week, this past month? Have you asked God for relief? Has something really valuable to you been taken away because of injury? Has a boyfriend or girlfriend or wife or husband just said, I don't want time with you anymore? Did a vacation plan get snuffed because of an unexpected expense? So what does a person do when that happens? They're like me when I was 13 years old. 
They face the darkness. They hear the noises. They hear Sasquatch. And they sit and remain confident because their daddy said, I am with you. See, if that's all you get today, that might be the very thing that presses you on and not throwing in the towel because God is with you. You see, your darkest hours can be the brightest hours for Jesus to shine in your life. Did you hear me? Your darkest hours, your darkest thing, you know what that thing is you're facing right now. This could be the time for Jesus to shine the brightest in your life. So look what happens. Joseph gets sold. Chapter 39, it says this, verse 1, Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. Potiphar, an Egyptian, who was one of Pharaoh's officials, the captains of the guard, bought him from the Ishmaelites, who had taken him there. So now he's not only in a foreign country, but nothing is familiar to him. Remember, too, he's a teenager. How many teens could handle what he is about to go through? Don't ever take away, don't over-spiritualize Joseph. Don't ever do that. He's a human being. Don't ever let what we know how this ends take away the realness of this situation. But Joseph is being sold now, we see, to Potiphar. He's in a foreign country. And he realizes that, hey, I need to make the best of this situation because I can't change it right now. But I can trust God and I can go on because God is with me. I would say it this way. Don't dare pray for your life to get easier. Pray that Jesus makes you stronger. So many of us, like something's happening, this relationship goes south, or this get this report, or there's friction here, we lose our job, or we had this altercation with a friend or family member, and we we pray, oh God, please make this, God, please, God, make this, make, make, God, please, God, please, dude, God, please, maybe just pray, God, make me stronger. So I can face this the next time. So I can stand in the ashes and know, no matter what's coming around me, God is with me. And when you know that, you can stand confidently in the ashes because God promises, promises to never leave you. And when you know that, you can press on. See, Joseph knew that. It's time as Christians, we stop our whining. It's time as Christians, we stop our wimpy ways. It's time as Christians that even though the odds are stacked against us, I'm going to stand. If I'm only standing with Jesus, that's enough. You see, that's what Joseph got. He didn't know how this was going to end up. But he could be responsible for his decision. He could be responsible for his response. He couldn't be responsible for anyone else's response. But he could respond and say, hey, I'm Joseph. I'm a man of God. And God is with me. And so be it. So the Lord was with Joseph. How do you know? Okay. okay. He sold. Look at verse 2. Look, look, look with me. Genesis 39, verse 2. The Lord was what? With Joseph. Like, don't some of you want to say, wait a minute. How can God be with you? Like, your brothers just sold you. You're in a foreign land. And then it says this. The Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered and lived in the house of the Egyptian master. I want to say, is God with him? When he got treated that way? He should be home doing his homework. 
preparing for college. He should be out on a date with his girlfriend. You see, listen to me. Please hear me today, Christ followers. There will be times in life when you get up to bat that you don't get the high fastball that you can drive to left field and hit a home run. There will be times when that pitcher throws you a curveball and you are way in front of it. And you can't make contact. And there will be times when you feel like you're the ball and not the bat. But God is with you. You see, I believe this too, that sometimes he lets us struggle until we recognize our dependence on him. Like maybe you're going through that season. Maybe God just wants you to depend on him. Maybe you've been a self-made man or self-made woman. Maybe you're a goal list. Like I'm knocking off that list. I'm going to run this race of life. There it is. I do this. I get up at 5 a.m. I eat this. I jump. I have a great attitude. I'm ready. And then all of a sudden, bam, you get hit with this injury. Bam, you get hit. God maybe wants you to depend on him and not your list. Because it's only because of Jesus that we can do any good. See, we can never manufacture it on our own. So one day he wakes up to food he's not familiar with, sleeping in an arrangement that he's not ever slept in before, unfamiliar faces, no friends. His family thinks he's dead. Like, don't you think there was those moments where he wanted to call his dad up and just say, Dad, I just need to talk. Like, don't you think there's those moments along the way that even after he was successful here, that he wanted his dad to say, good job. Way to go, son. Like, doesn't every son want to hear from their father? Like, wow, you're doing that? Like, he didn't even have anyone from his family that he could share the report. Part of the life journey that I love is when, when I can share the joys of life. Like, I love texting my kids. I love texting my wife. I love gathering my wife and my kids and them gathering me together and say, dad, guess what? He didn't even have those guess what kind of time. Egyptians didn't care. Yeah, he remained faithful to God. Even after all things went south with him. And then it says this, I mean, as if, look what it says in verse 3. It says this, when the master saw that the Lord was what? What's it say? With him. Look, come on, help me, help me, help me. Verse 3, Genesis 39. When his master saw that the Lord was what? With him. Come on. Everyone else even sees it. That the Lord was with him and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did. Joseph found favor in the eyes and became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of the whole household and he entrusted to his care everything he owned. Often others can see it better than we can. In other words, Joseph remained faithful. And because of his faithfulness and because of his faith and because of this tenacious faith, not only did he know that God was with him, but others began to say, dude, man, everything you touch, you have success. Who is your God? Even, even Potiphar, who didn't worship his God, even Potiphar, who worshiped a Baal and an idol, even, even, or Pharaoh and Potiphar, all of them, it's like, they even see that, man, there's something different. About, I mean, God let him shine in the darkest time of his life. Why? Because he knew that God was with him. Look what happens next. Look at verses that follow this. Genesis 39 and verse 5 says, From the time he put him in charge of the household and all that he owned, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. The blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had, both in the house and in the field. 
do you ever think there was a moment, there had to have been, I mean, he's a human being, by the way, do you ever think there was a moment when he said, God, like, quit blessing these people. Like, God, bless me. Like, I know I'm having a favor, but God, if you really want blessing, if you really, look, God, here's my blessing. Send me home. See, here's what I believe Joseph took. This was his philosophy walking through this journey. I think Joseph knew that with God, it's always too early to quit at something. Like some of us bail, like as soon as the hardship comes, I'm getting out of this marriage. It's too hard. I'm leaving this job. I don't like that boss. I'm not going there because of the food. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not getting healthy because I like burgers from McDonald's. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not. It's too hard. I'm not willing, like, See, Joseph knew that with God, it's always too early to quit. So he put Joseph in charge of everything in verse 6. You see, Joseph believed living with God and knowing that God was with him, his responsibility wasn't to complain or gripe, but to give his very best no matter where his feet touched the ground even if it was in the bottom of a cistern. You know, if we lived that way, we would not be so discouraged. We wouldn't have negative attitudes. We wouldn't be blaming him and blaming her. Oh, she didn't call me up last night. I can't believe I've been hurting. They didn't call me. Can you believe? Like the pity parties we go on sometimes. Like, come on. Have you been thrown in a cistern lately and want to be killed by your brothers? He probably preferred to be somewhere else. He probably was homesick. He might even have been weak. But he chose to work hard to give his best to honor God where he was planted. He lived each day giving his best even though it was not the route he dreamed of. So now he has a run-in with Potiphar's wife. Many of us know that story. She sees him because he's a handsome man. He's young. And she sees him and she wants to sleep with him and he denies her. And so then she concocts this story that, that, that he, he pursued her and that he was coming after her. And so now he finds himself getting the, the, this treatment from Potiphar, this lie. And, and, and then it says this in chapter 39 in verse 19. After all this takes place, look what happens in verse 19. It says this, when his master heard the story, his wife told him saying, this is how your slave has treated me. He burned with what? What's it say? Anger. Joseph's master took him, put him in the prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. But while Joseph was there in the prison, look what verse 21 says. The Lord was what? Come on. After a while, don't you want to say, God, come on, are you kidding? The Lord was with me. Like, I can see Joseph saying this. Like, I've never really considered favor with God to mean being on the first name basis with the prison warden. Like, seriously, thinking, well, God, I'm glad you know that you're with me. So he gets thrown into prison. But while he's there, look what it says in verse 22. It says this, it says, so the warden put Joseph in charge of all those held in the prison, and he was made responsible for all that was done there. Then verse 23 says, the warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care. But because the Lord was what? 
with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did because the Lord was with him. He made the best of the situation. He had Bible study in cell number three and cell number seven and cell number nine at 8 a.m. on Monday, Thursday, and Friday. And every once in a while, he got cookies from someone else's family because his family thought he was dead. And he made the best of that situation. And God gave him a success in the prison. See, some of us want to bail. Some of us want to quit. Some of us say, it's too hard. I can't believe God would allow me to go through. I can't believe she treats me that way. He treats me that way. I can't believe I've been handed this. I can't believe I've been handed that. And some of you men, you bail out and you get wimpy and you don't, like, oh man, I can't believe they didn't notice me. And women, it's like, what's going on? God is with you. Just get up and stand up and fight. If God is with you, he's going to walk you through it. And this is just chapter three of chapter 93 of your life. Write the ending of this where it says, and because of God, we were victorious. And if I never get what I wanted and I get what God wanted, guess what's coming next? It's called heaven. And it's a lot better than this. You see, we lose perspective. Like this is it. Like if all you want is success and you want to have favor in the eyes of people on earth, if that's what you're chasing, go get it. But I want favor in the eyes of God. I want to make sure that what I do and that what you do gives glory to God because we're going to spend eternity with him, giving him more glory. He was put in charge of everything. Now think about it. He had not heard from his family in years. See, God is present and involved in our lives, even the, when it feels like he's on a leave of absence. And maybe God feels like, in your case, he's on a leave of absence. You prayed, and you showed up for prayer encounter, and, and you put out your petitions in fight club prayer chains, and you put them out in remarkable women, and you put it out on the church prayer lane, and you had, God, you had a group of people and elders pray over you, and, and you've, you've done all this stuff, and, and, you, and you, you, you circled that thing, not just seven times, but 774 times, and you haven't gotten it yet. Listen to me, stay at it, stay at it, remain faithful, listen. This is just where God has you now. Your chapter's not over. Listen, there's a brighter day ahead and there's hope in Christ. Don't give up. It's always too early to quit with God. Don't quit. See, God sees you. He knows your situation. You can never leave his sight. So what happens? Chapter 40, he's in prison, and they start, people start having dreams. In chapter 40, it says, sometime later, the cupbearer, the baker, and I want to say the candlestick maker. It just makes me want to say that, but it's not. It's a different story. And the king of Egypt offended their master. Pharaoh was angry with his officials, and the chief cupbearer and the chief baker, it says. So he has a dream, and Joseph interprets it, and he says, hey, remember me? And he correctly interprets it. And he's thinking, boy, he's going to remember me. He's going to get me out of here. And then in verse 14, it says, but when all goes well with you, remember me and show me kindness. Mention me to Pharaoh and get me out of the prison. You can see, even though he knew God was with him, he still wanted out, but he still remained faithful. In verse 15, it says, I was forcefully carried off from the land of the Hebrews. And even here, I have done nothing to deserve being put in a dungeon. But even though he knew that to be true, he still remained faithful. Chapter 40, he interprets a dream. And then it says this in verse 23, the chief cupbearer, however, did not remember Joseph. He forgot him. He gets passed on again. Someone else gets promoted. So then it says this. I mean, after all that, he's thinking, that was my out. They're going to see that I can interpret dreams. Chapter 41, when two full what had passed? 
Like, this is ongoing. He started at 17. If you get the end of this account, you're going to see he's 39. 22 years of being away from home. When two full years had passed, Pharaoh had a dream. He was standing by the now. So he has a dream. It needs interpreted about seven heads of grain. And, 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 and he wants it explained. And his, his mind was troubled. Look at chapter 41. It says in verse 8. Early in the morning, his mind was troubled. So he sent for all the magicians and wise men of Egypt. Pharaoh told him his dreams, but no one could interpret them. Then the chief cupbearer, like two years later, like finally says to Pharaoh, Today, I'm reminded of my shortcomings. Well, thanks a lot, bud, huh? Pharaoh was once angry with his servants, and he tells there was this guy who interpreted this dream. Let me just say this. God's timing is perfect even when it seems like he's catastrophically late. So look what happens in verse 14. So Pharaoh sent for Joseph, and he was quickly brought from the dungeon. I love this too. When he had shaved and changed his clothes, he came before Pharaoh. Shows his real condition. Stinky, grimy, dirty, prisoner jumpsuit. Yet somehow he never lost his mind of the fact that God was with him. Verse 16. He gives him, Pharaoh tells Joseph the dream and he says this in verse 16. I cannot do it, Joseph replied to Pharaoh. But, but God will give Pharaoh the answer he desires. So he, he, he unpacks it. Look at verse 25. Then Joseph said to Pharaoh, the dreams of Pharaoh are one and the same. God has revealed to Pharaoh what he is about to do. The seven good cows are seven years. He says this, the, the seven good heads of grain are seven years and it's one and the same in the dream. The seven lean ugly cows that came up afterwards are the seven years and so are the seven worthless heads of grain scorched by the, the east wind. They are seven years of famine. Then it says in verse 28, look what it says. It says, it is just, as I said to Pharaoh, God has shown Pharaoh what he's about to do. Seven years abundance, verse 30, but seven years of famine will follow. Then all the abundance in Egypt will be forgotten and the famine will ravage the land. The abundance in the land will also be remembered because the famine that follows will be severe. And then he says, the reason the dream was given to Pharaoh in two forms is that the matter has been firmly decided by God and God will do it soon. Look at verse 38. It says this. So, so Pharaoh asked him, can we find anyone like this man, one in the whom the spirit of God is? Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has made all this known to you, there is no one so discerning and wise as you. You shall be put in charge of my palace and all my people are to submit to your orders. Only respect to the throne will I be greater. I want you to think about this for a second. I, I was this week. Like if you had a chance, like you're in prison. And someone comes to you and says, they, they trust you, totally, totally trust you. He say, hey, here's my dream. This is the dream I had. Now, but keep in mind, he's very human. Now, the human side of me was saying, boy, I could really manufacture my exit here. Like, Pharaoh says, what does that dream mean? That means, listen, a lion's going to come and eat your face in seven days unless you release me. I mean, seriously, wouldn't you like, I'm going to concoct a good story. I can be a good storyteller. Like, thus saith the Lord. Like, so he gets out, like, well, you, what do you mean? Pharaoh's saying, so you're saying that, that if I don't release you, that, that in seven days, uh, that, that I'll die. Yeah, that's what that means. So, okay, he could have concocted a story, but he didn't. Why? Because he remained faithful to God. He puts him in charge of everything after that 30-minute interview. He and the warden were like best friends. And then it says this in chapter 41. 
Chapter 41 and verse 57, after, after all had taken place and people needed to come to Egypt because for, for, they had so much grain and his dream was true. And it says in verse 57 of chapter 41, and all the world came to Egypt to buy grain from who? Who's it say? Joseph, because the famine was severe everywhere. The whole world came to him. He was promoted because God was with him. He was promoted because he knew God was with him. He was promoted because he never threw in the towel and he trusted that God was with him, even if it wasn't the route he would have chosen. We know what happens next. His brothers come and they need grain and, and, and they go before Joseph and they're not familiar that he, he is who he is. And, and Joseph knows. The reason they're not, they think he's dead. They think he's long and gone. They, they've written him off. And, and, but Joseph sees his brothers and there's this one scene. He begins to talk. He cries. He has to leave. He has to walk away because he's overcome with emotion. Because his brothers... And then it says this, it says this in Genesis chapter 45. Look, after seeing his brothers, it says this in Genesis 45. He wants to help him out. And it says this in verse four of Genesis 45 says, and Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me. When they had done so, he said, I am your what? Brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt, in case you forgot. They didn't forget that. But it's like his little jab. By the way, guess what? Remember when you sold me? (laughs) Guess who's in charge now? Can you imagine the look on these brothers' faces, by the way? No, seriously. You think he's gone. You you think he's off the planet. You don't have to see him again. And the guy that you're standing in front of is ruling the country. (laughs) He's ruling the country. They were scared to death. Why? Because of a few things. But I also believe they never dealt with the guilt that they were carrying. And never, they never dealt with the shame that they were carrying. They never dealt with the sin that was on their back. They never dealt with true forgiveness. And they never got to a point where they asked God for forgiveness. You see, here's what I know. His brothers had yet to learn. If you believe in the forgiveness of sins, you don't run and hide from the forgiver. You run to him. So he points it out. He tells him who he is. Then he says this in verse six, for two years now has been famine in the land. In the next five years, there will be no plowing and reaping, but God sent me ahead of you. Like that's how he sees it. He threw me in a cistern. He allowed that to happen. He allowed all, but God sent me ahead of to preserve for you a remnant on earth to save your lives by a great deliverance. So then it was not you who sent me here, but who? God. He made me father the Pharaoh, Lord of his entire household and ruler of all Egypt. Now hurry back to my father and say to him, this is what your son Joseph said. God has made me Lord of all Egypt. Come down to me. Don't delay. And I love verse 10. You shall live in the region of what? Oh, come on, read it. What is it? Goshen. And be near me and your children and their grandchildren and your flocks and herds and all you have. I will provide for you because five years of famine are still to come. Otherwise, you and your household and all who belong to you will become destitute. So he gets to the end of his life. Look at chapter 50. This is how he saw his whole journey because he knew God was with him. Genesis chapter 50. Look look at the end of Genesis chapter 50. Look at verse 19. But Joseph said to them, They were afraid he was still going to take their lives. Don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to do what to me? What's it say? Harm me. But God intended it for what? Good. To accomplish what is now being done. 
the saving of many lives. So then, don't be afraid. I will provide for you, your children, and be reassured them. And he reassured them and spoke what to them? Isn't it interesting that it opens up with them. They never spoke a kind word. And the bookend is, and he spoke kindly to them. You see, that's the full picture of restoration, of forgiveness, of following God, of understanding no matter what comes my way, I know that God is with me and his presence will get me through this. And even though right now it appears that my stepfather is two mountains away, he is with me and I can face whatever comes my way. Because God is with you. Lord, help us today to grab that truth. Oh, Lord, if we grab that truth, we stop pointing fingers at other people. We stop blaming other people. We stop coming up with these wimpy excuses and we stand confident in the ashes Because we know that you are with us and we do not quit early because the last chapter hasn't been written. See, God, we know when you walk into the room, everything changes. When your presence is with us, we can face anything. I'm going to ask you to stand in both venues with your eyes closed as I wrap up this prayer, please. We're about to sing a song that declares these truths that God is with us. And when he walks into the room, everything changes. Maybe, maybe this is your prayer today. Maybe this is even you're reminding yourself. Maybe you're going to exponentially, you're going to the second power and singing this because you know this, but you're going to declare these words. I encourage you as we sing this song, use it as a declaration. Listen, speak it out. Speak out this truth that God is with us wherever we go. In Jesus' name, amen.